0: Okay. I might be off a little bit, but that's okay. I'll uh, I'll be syncing things up like I did in the old days.
1: <laughs> like the pioneers did.
0: Mhm. That's right. Yeah, yeah, when um when the, uh, the the people in the Conestoga wagons were heading across the the great plains uh, and they needed to record a podcast. Um they had a lot of trouble syncing up their audio because they didn't have computers yet, so mm-hmm. they had to do it by hand.
1: Yeah. But they had to get inbox schooner out to the out to the listener.
0: Mhm. Yep. Yeah, whittle that podcast together.
1: Mm-hmm. Just like Grandpappy did. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I was at uh, at the uh, the Kansas Museum of Technology, and I saw a, uh, a hand carved driftwood podcast from ah. 1872.
1: Mm. Had it been refinished? Mm, yeah, it had. I
0: think if they went on Antiques Roadshow, they would have been told that they could have been millionaires, but unfortunately, somebody had refinished it.
1: Right. Right. Gotta stay true to the period. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed, that's what I tell all the, the millennials who keep sending me tweets and text messages with no punctuation.
1: Uh, uh, yeah. Speaking,
0: speaking of periods and other things that come at the end of things. Oh,
1: my. <laughs> Is that the segue?
0: Um, yeah, I think I just literally crashed the segue into the podcast, and now they're both broken.
1: That's okay. Segways are kind of obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, most people just look silly on them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like
0: a, they're like hoverboards with pogo sticks attached.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes things are left. <laughs> See, it was it was a an to auditory unfinished. The dogs <laughs> finish each other's podcast. <laughs>
0: sometimes things are left at the auditorium where the play was.
1: Yes, that too. Um, on this week, Lost and Found. Oh, this makes so little sense so far. Um...
0: (laughs) You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled Just Like Grandpappy Did. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, Visit us online at priority.fm slash 63.
1: Yes. So I I was experiencing a convergence um, of artifacts in a certain realm in my life lately. Um, So I sent them to you and pitched them as a topic. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first of these artifacts that I had heard about... Um, oh, let me think for a second. Oh, yeah, all of these things, I think came to me through NPR. <laughs> so mm. lots of were lots they of, in
0: a were they in a tote bag?
1: Oh, just emblazoned with the emblem. NPR mm. listeners., Um, I have heard a lot of ads for their gift shop, their their shopping site in recent their gift history, shop or too. their gift shop. No. GIF, GIF shop.
0: You know know, what's funny is I've started coming around on that one.
1: Oh, you are kidding me.
0: (laughs) 20 years later.
1: Oh, good Lord. Um, Yes, lots of NPR, so kudos to them. We'll be providing links, of course. Um, So the first artifact that came my way um, that sparked this topic was uh, NPR covered an exhibition that's at the Met right now, the Metropolitan Museum of Art um, in New York, of course. Um, and the title of the exhibition is Unfinished Thoughts Left Visible, and it's a collection of works that are literally unfinished across the the realm of visual arts. So they've got, um, unfinished works from Rembrandt, Cezanne, um, a number of others that, um, I'm sure some people have heard of, some I haven't heard of, of course, not being mm-hmm. an, an art professional, um. But yeah, so this whole show, um, they've got a, a variety of works in a variety of states. Um, you can check out the the Mets website as well and see some pictures and, and video of, of this exhibition. Um, but it begs a lot of interesting questions, you know, like they they pointed out on NPR. Um, you know, what does it mean to be looking at something unfinished from from somebody who is a rock star in this realm and um, has many masterpieces. What does it mean for um, us to be seeing these things that maybe could have been masterpieces, or or could have mm-hmm. been, you know, something different, but they were never finished, you know? Right,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about it today, uh, and especially the way you phrase it in in that the the trailing thoughts of that introduction. Um, it occurred to me that this also kind of impinges on something uh, relating to one of our, our quarterly cultural break episodes. Um, we talked uh, last year about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. around the same time that the the sort of pseudo sequel, follow-up, prequel, whatever it was, um, "Ghost" at a Watchman on Fire came out. <laughs> I don't think that's actually what it's called. But... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that is a work that um as it turns out everybody was very excited to to get their hands on, but it turned out it was it was really kind of like what you're talking about. It was it was um I don't know what level of editorial um attention or polish it got after it was sort of unearthed and it was decided to you know, to to bring it to market, but it certainly felt from a lot of reports to be like an unfinished work, like a, a early rough draft for what would have become to kill a mockingbird.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um And, you know, I mean, this this, you know, this is an exhibition specifically of things of this nature that people might not see that often. But this does happen like stuff gets out there in in a different form than is intended or, you know, an earlier state than is than is um, expected. And um, something I I recalled as we were getting ready for this one, um, one of the smartest things I've said on the podcast, uh, and that is saying something. Um, (laughs) On a previous episode that will be in show notes, we talked about uh, how we know when a project is done. And I said something about this podcast, which is, um, you know, uh, I think one thing things like these works show us is some of them, I'm assuming, are quite impressive, like even as partial works. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if there's a few things there that might look to the untrained eye like something that is finished, if maybe a little modern or abstract. But um, it made me think of what I said on this previous episode, which is when I listened to somebody else's podcast, I hear a finished product. Mm-hmm. When I listen to our podcast, I hear the point at which I stopped editing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know that that very often, like whatever is out in the world, is a rough draft. Um, and this is this is kind of a nice mm-hmm. reminder that I mean, this is this is art. This is literally drafts that were not meant for public consumption. But when you go look at them, I would assume I haven't actually gone to the to the Met site to do this yet. Um, so I'll be joining the listener and going through our show notes. Uh, but uh, I would assume when you go look at them, they read as art. You know, even though they were not really in the artist's mind, ready for for that level of, of, for that moniker, for that level of consumption.
1: Mm-hmm. And there is an aesthetic still for drafts and, you know, things that are half-colored in or half-traced out. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think especially to the untrained eye, there is something inherently artsy about a draft. But, yeah. you know, again, maybe the, that's one of the reasons I was interested in this topic is... Um, you know, how do we appreciate things that are unfinished? Um, mm-hmm. So maybe some of what you're saying is a good segue to another of the artifacts um, that I was thinking about with this topic. Yeah, all these things just sort of coalesced recently. Um, very interesting. Um, didn't think this would ever be in my my prep for the podcast, but today I was listening to a Kanye album. <laughs> so there's nice. that. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... Uh, yeah, I I am I am not not a fan of, of rap and hip hop.
0: Let's um, I mean let's let's just let's just head off any of the angry email at the past right here. You know we are Kanye positive people,
1: right? <laughs> I yes, especially if if we are um, considering him critically as consumers. I I think uh, his his work and life are are curious and, and interesting um, at the very least. And I've, yeah, I yeah this sounds not terribly glowing. I've never not liked Kanye, you know, the Kanye that, um, has been recommended to me and and I've listened to over the years, um, is interesting and usually fun. Um, and he's a character. I mean, I think people who even don't follow the entertainment world, it's kind of hard to miss the, the aura around Kanye. Um, He has such a big personality. He is very vocal. He is very blunt. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Uh, (laughs) Vocal and blunt to the fact where an awful lot of people will retweet things that he tweets. And based on what he is saying and and who is doing the retweeting, I am literally never sure if he's being retweeted ironically or not.
1: Right. Right. Because it's just all there. It's all out. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) It's all something.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. I think he, that's
0: part of my problem. Is sometimes it's not quite all there, and I mean, I'm sure there's context I'm missing on a lot of these, but I mean, yeah, I just see these tweets and I'm like, that sounds like the opposite of what the person that just retweeted him thinks and feels. Right. You know, what? What does? I don't understand.
1: So who's joking and and <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> to what degree? Um, yeah,
0: it's like three layers of irony, and I, I haven't even managed to unpeel the first one. Oh my gosh.
1: Yes. Yeah. So so one thing that. Um, I've not witnessed firsthand because I'm not a a follower per se, but I've heard many critics talk about um, is this transition that's happened in Kanye's career where um, for a long time he was notoriously a huge perfectionist um, to the point that um, I think I heard in an NPR story, of course, um, in this case on uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is a wonderful entertainment podcast, um, Pop Culture Roundup. Um, they were talking about his perfectionism to the point that there was one, there was a show somewhere where he didn't come out for maybe hours after he was supposed to, because he was trying to, um, get everything just right, get something about the performance just right. And then when he came out, finally people booed, um, but he was mad at his crowd. He was mad at his friends, at his, at his fans, um, because they weren't sort of respecting that he needed to get it just right, whatever it was about this Mm -hmm. particular performance. Um, But now it seems like um, he's sort of taken a 180 in that in the lead up to his most recent album, the life of Pablo um, he took on this really uh, not voyeuristic. That's not right. Um, But he took on this very open stance about the creative process of this album. He, was tweeting um, song names and the lineups for this record and changing the lineups and and tweeting about what he was doing. And um, I think at one point tweeted, you know, this is going to be the greatest album in the history of music in the history of the world or whatever. Um, Not uncommon for him to say,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, but there was all this stuff. So suddenly he was letting fans into the drafting process basically of this album um, and it came out to mixed reviews. Critics really liked it. I think fans were a little disappointed just because um, he had been releasing such solid albums. And then there was all this weird hype with this, the draftiness of the album. <laughs> sure. um, yeah. So I just think that's really interesting, too. So then as an active performer, you know, a little different from the, the Met exhibition, yeah. this is a live and active career. Mhm. I don't know. So I was thinking about what does unfinishedness mean there?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I think some of it is um uh, one thing that that occurs to me listening to this this um you know, the unfinished album and, and and kind of looking into people's creative process. I I think all of it is a good reminder um and I I don't mean to harp just on that one point from that that episode of long ago, but um, a good reminder that it's that it is all a process and that like the the end goal of a lot of these things, um yeah, uh, there's a I can't remember who which creativity art guru you know talks about this, but like there's these these things that get in the way of your creativity, and um you could call them dragons or demons and give them different names, but like one of them one of them is this this you know the demon of product, like this idea that I am you know it's it's a Michelangelo ish idea that I have this block of of marble that I'm chipping away at, and when I get to the middle of it, I'm going to have you know the David. Um, and this idea of this finished thing—that uh, really, if you do most creative work in most in most media, from what I understand and from the the ones I've interacted with in a limited way, like what you end up with is not going to be what you envision. Um, there is no execute perfectly on on some perfect vision you had at the beginning. Like it is a process, and there are steps, and things change, and. Um, you know, when works out in public that are a little bit more unfinished like that, that's a good reminder that like, even the polished ones, like somebody made a decision. Um, like the most, keep keeping with music for a moment, like think of the most heavily, thoroughly produced, polished, uh, uh, single you've ever heard. You know, that some record producer had 40 session musicians come in and work on, and they probably did hundreds of takes and took a week to, to record and master this one track. Um, that was still a process that stopped somewhere that was not, that's the ultimate form that that song took. Cause that's where they stopped, but that's not like the ultimate form of that song. Um, and it's interesting to think like, like things like this, one thing that it makes me think of, that's kind of a, a hopeful thing. And I don't know, it, again, it's keeping with music that harkens back to something like, you know, punk music or like local bands that, you know, get four hours in a recording studio. Um, Spending their life savings on it, and then then like press their own their own CD or like dump <laughs> it on the internet in the modern sense, um, but like this this you know uh, by the same token like the the finish the polished finish project product is not the ultimate form it could have had. That's just where they happen to stop. Like you could also stop a lot earlier and still have art. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Is this is this remotely what you're thinking about with this topic? Or
1: yeah, yeah i don't I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> it just seemed to, it just, max the universe just sent it to me that was okay, that's why we're talking enough. about it yeah
0: it was it was a convergence, and the convergence might not have finished either if we'd waited another week, you might have found three more things
1: mm could be <laughs> as people obnoxiously yeah. say things come in 3s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um except when you count higher and then yeah. they go to fours or fives or whatever yeah
0: the the other <laughs> thing that pops into my head that makes that might make um I don't know for anybody, and I think if if you're interested in you know if you want to be a painter, if you want to make music, if you want to do a podcast, if you want to write a book, I think I think in our culture at least there's plenty of how to and self help and here's my process stuff out there. You know you probably already are, are steeped in that stuff, but I think it's a good reminder too, like that that stuff is out there and you should go look at it. Um, There is a story I have heard. I don't know if it is apocryphal or not, and I can't actually remember which two painters it was about. (laughs) So we'll say it was um, Cezanne and Jackson Pollock. Um, Supposedly, um, uh, and this was, you know, some time ago, you know, B- both both painters, I assume, are long since dead. Although again, I can't remember who it is. But we'll say we'll say that it was Cezanne copying Jackson Pollock's work. So supposedly, Cezanne copied a lot of Jackson Pollock. And somebody asked him one time, like, "You are a great painter in your own right. Why are you copying this other guy?" And he said, "Well, because when I look at it, I see a masterpiece. I see I see perfection. But if I can replicate what what he has done here, then I know it was done by a man, and I know that I can achieve the same." <laughs> um, and I, I was actually furiously googling just now to figure out who you know where the story was from and who were the supposed painters involved. Um, I know it wasn't those two because the chronology would not make any sense the way I just told it, but uh, in any case, like I think there's there's something there too that I like that even even if you couldn't achieve like the you know the Kanye draft, um, it is nice to see the rough edges and imperfections and remind ourselves that it is a process. like even even somebody who is, hundred times better than we think we can ever be and 10,000 times better than we are now, it's still a process for them. Mm -hmm. They're still a human being doing things, um, chipping away at that block of music to make Michelangelo's Daniel. Mm
1: -hmm. I just got the image of little bar of soap carvings that we made in like the second grade. (laughs) I made a bunny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I thought of a while back, you were talking about... um, punk music, but your, uh, description of, you know, you, you're, you're making do with the resources you have when you have a vision of something you want to make. Um, I was thinking too of, um, the creation of the movie Clerks, um,
0: which you might
1: remember the details better than me, but didn't, didn't, um, didn't they shoot that movie in a weekend Mm -hmm. or something something like like that.
0: that? Yeah. As I understand it, it was, um. It was not black and white to evoke uh, surveillance cameras in a in a um, convenience store, although it certainly had that effect. It was shot that way because it was cheaper, um, and it was done in a very brief period of time. I think it was not, it was not only a weekend, but it had to be done while the store was closed. So the only scenes that are during daylight are outside. So stuff that's during the day that's inside the store is actually like at three in the morning, I believe, you Mm -hmm. know, at at some time when the store is closed, because that's the only way they could get permission to do it. And um, I don't I don't know if this is if this is, uh, again, apocryphal or not, but I have also heard that Kevin Smith pawned his massive comic book collection to make enough money to to raise enough money to actually do the shooting.
1: Oh, that's kind of delightful. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, but I mean, all this makes me think of projects like that too. Um, I think maybe some of the actors were handed the script within hours of shooting or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and, you know, we can we can check all this stuff. Um, not terribly important because if you
0: it, would... certainly explain some of the acting.
1: <laughs> some yes, yes, some of the delivery. But even then, what I'm thinking about, you know, maybe I, I might be getting some of these details wrong. I might have, you know, I read this years ago. Um, But if you've seen the film, what I'm thinking about is how, um, you know, no matter what the circumstances were, as a text, it is what it is. You know, sort of Mm -hmm. like you're saying, they did what they could, um, which I think, I think it's a a charming and funny and weird movie. I I think
0: it holds up better than anything he's done since.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I I kind of feel like Kevin Smith's um, um, film universe kind of goes on a, a... increasingly steep downward slope personally
1: <laughs> yeah and and so maybe you know we could chalk that up to to some of this um is it simplicity maybe but
0: <laughs> well I think it's I guess I mean this is another cliche from every creativity guru but I think a lot of them might just come down to limitations um how do you when mean? when he had no budget and not many actual actors to work with and, and nothing you know as far as lighting and special effects goes. Uh, all he had were his wits, you know. Um, he, had, he had he was very limited in what he could actually accomplish. and so you know we get some of some some fairly snappy dialogue and some you know funny comedy of errors plot lines and, and it all comes together and it has a certain aesthetic because it has to have that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know like what is what does mall rats look like? Mm-hmm. Mallrats, of course, being being the, the sort of pseudo sequel to Clerks, you know, the next Bob and Silent Jay Z movie, um, it it looks and feels very different because he had the budget to actually make a movie, but it looks like every every like twenty something uh, gross rom com from the nineties. You know, it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't feel like anything. Other than a movie, mm-hmm. Clerks has an aesthetic to it, though that he wouldn't have had if he didn't have to have it, mm-hmm. and I think that helps it.
1: So I guess, yeah, in a way, there's a a case for the the roughness, right? You mm-hmm. you find out what uh, sounding bumper sticker cliche, really, really quickly, picture of a boat kind of stuff, but you find <laughs> out what you can do when you don't have much to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's um. Merlin had this question he used to pose to people from time to time, and and uh, there's a, an interview. I think it's an audio interview. I'll find it for show notes that he did with, um, uh, Leo last name starts with a B, the guy who writes Zen Habits um, and its execrable collection of, of related blogs, and properties. Um, but uh, Merlin Man graciously agreed to be interviewed by this guy for his podcast, and. Um, Merlin at the end kind of turns the, the 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 interview around and asks this question of Leo that I've always thought was very interesting. Is like, what would you what would you begin if you had like like say you've got fifty percent of what you need to get started on something you care about? What would that be like? What would you go do? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and the, the the formulation is a little bit awkward, but I always kind of like it because that idea that like you don't need to have everything lined up you could possibly imagine needing. You don't need to have six months of uninterrupted time in a cottage in France. Um, and, and unlimited resources in order to make your artwork. Like, you probably have some portion, even if it's even if it's half what you even think you need to begin, um, you have some resources around you now, and you can go just start. And if you do that, you'll end up with something. And if you don't, then you're not going to get started. And you know what? You won't get started when you have those resources, because you're never going to have enough of them. You know, mm-hmm. if you're waiting for the stars to align and everything to be perfect for you to, to do your polished masterwork.
1: Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I like that a lot. On the flip side, and I think it'll work as a as a segue. <laughs> if not, I'm gonna drag the broken segue with me. Um, yes, I'm picturing like a cracked in half segue.
0: <laughs> We're having like a like a, a Jason Bourne esque car chase, but it's on segways.
1: Yes. So the cracked in half segue that I'm dragging. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of on the flip side, um, I think it's cool too when we can um, see in others the work that maybe they could polish up and and could make into a masterpiece, which brings me to the third artifact. Um, (laughs) so I also heard about this on NPR as I, as I alluded to. Um, so there's a new journal, um, that was created by a really young person. I think it's a, a student himself, um, at Oxford. Yes. I, I was thinking Oxford or Cambridge because they, look they both look like Harry Potter so same mm-hmm. school um out of Oxford um created this interdisciplinary academic journal called the Journal of, Un- of Interrupted Studies and the whole idea is that um this journal seeks and and wants to publish um work of the academics whose work has been interrupted by forced migration so um I think the 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 guy was saying that so far they're seeing a lot of work from um, scholars who have fled Syria, um, various areas of Africa. Um, so a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, people submitting so far are um, political refugees or migrants of some sort. Mm. Um, but academic work from the sciences and humanities of People for who, whatever reason, their work has been interrupted. Um, So that just seems like I don't know that the whole premise of the journal is super groovy to me because the goal is inherently to find people who, for whatever reason, can cannot or have not um, completed their studies or completed their research. But and then you know, so part of their process too is finding out what those scholars need to finish their work, and then trying to facilitate okay. that. That
0: was, was going to be one of my questions: is 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 this like a a venue to showcase like where they were and sort of you know make a an academic Kickstarter plea, like, hey, does anybody want to pick this up from us <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you know bring us on board to finish? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, here's, yeah, it's... here's what we were working
1: on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like they want to facilitate the process. So whether that's um, getting them access to a library wherever they are now or, you know, what have you. Um, mm-hmm. cause I could see that it, I, I would think that a lot of people's work would be very hard to complete if you don't have access to an institution. Right.
0: Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it might be a good opportunity for, um, yeah, this is one, one thing when you first, uh, I didn't look it up, but you mentioned the existence of this journal to me and I thought it was, sounded super cool. And I was reminded by an idea that um, I, haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time reading up on. It's just something that, you know, a fact in the world that I've heard made mention of um, tangentially a couple times recently that um, one of the big costs of the, the two world wars in the last century and particularly World War II with the Holocaust is the number of intellectuals, um, you know, high-level intellectuals, um, scientists and and people in the humanities as well who... Who died? You know, who were killed in the camps, or who uh, died? You know, fighting in the, in trenches that might not have existed otherwise. Um, you know, you think about and, and even even take the Holocaust out of it. Go back to World War One. You know, basically, an entire generation of German men were wiped out. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of them would have been great scientists or great philosophers or great composers or even were you know, but were serving their country and and perished? Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and on all sides for that matter, a good, goodly number of other Europeans and, and others died, uh, even in that war, you know, set aside world war two and the Holocaust, like a lot of people died <laughs> before yeah. that, that was not the beginning of people dying in large numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it's two points in the last century where, you know, a, a ton of intellectual potential was just wiped out. Uh, and, and this is like a case where we're talking about people who've had to, had to flee, you know, forced migrations, um not necessarily people who are, who are now deceased. So they're still with us. Like there's a chance to do something about it, but absent something like this journal. And I would also say absent something like the internet. I mean, I think the <laughs> chances are already better of finding somewhere new to complete their work than say somebody who was fleeing the Nazis in 1942. Um, but absent, absent something like this journal, like their work would be lost too, even though they may still be alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and it's almost kind of like a, it's 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 not just a boon to them. It's a boon to the intellectual community. Like somebody someone might be perusing this journal and be like, you know what, I have been working on something similar to this. I need to talk to to, you know, my dean and, and my funding sources and see if I can I can get this gal to come over here and work with us you know, here in the States or here in the UK or here in the wherever. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, this this is exactly the kind of thinking or data that I need.
1: Yeah. You know, and this is going to sound like a knock, but it, it, it's, you know, just tongue in cheek. It, it's almost like an academic. Uh, oh, shoot. Now what's the name of it? Oh, you can cut all this out.
0: An, a- an academic tender.
1: No. Oh, God, no. No, I was going <laughs> one better. Um, oh, shoot. Misconnections. Is that Craigslist? What oh, yeah, that? yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like an academic misconnection. <laughs> I, I started my experiment yeah. with my buddy from Russia. Yeah. I need help finishing my experiment. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yes. I, I I'm being reminded. I think there's one um let me see here. I'm going to be Uh here we go. Yes. Um so there is a um a phenomenon um you know this is this reminded me of something else speaking of works in in draft or works that are not quite what we would hope they would be. Um there's a phenomenon in the social sciences um well and I think in science in general. Um Called the file drawer effect, where uh, as research gets done, um, very often uh, the researchers don't find what they were expecting, and very often don't find anything very interesting. Um, you know, they'll study a bunch of variables um, and make make what were probably very sound predictions, but find no result, no relationship worth reporting on. Um, either either disproving their hypothesis or pro- possibly even like n- nothing that would support any hypothesis except for that all of these things are not related to each other. And very often um, when this happens, uh, either they will go back to the drawing board and and try to refine to get better data, or they'll set that aside and and you know design a different study to study look for the same effect basically. And what you have is um, this uh, this uh, this problem where the published research. Shows effects a lot of the time that if you had a much broader sample of research published, including all these studies that found nothing, the average of the effect would be a lot smaller Mm. um, or non-existent. It's just you can't see all those those other studies that didn't get published because they didn't find anything very interesting. They went in the file drawer, hence the file drawer effect. Um, and there are actually now journals, uh, specifically for, for publishing this kind of work, um, because of this reason, because this does introduce a bias into the literature, uh, one of which is the, the Journal of Negative Results in Biomedicine, um, mm. which is a peer reviewed medical journal that publishes yeah. papers that, that, um, promote discussion of unexpected, controversial, provocative, and or negative results, which means, you know, no result found, um. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. It's, a, again, like, when we see what scientists produce when they don't produce something that is as finished as they had hoped, um, and in this case, it, it may be finished, like, you know, to get into this journal, I'm assuming they have to write it up as though it were, were a paper with a real result. Um, but when we see something other than what they would have would have hoped to publish as their finished, polished piece, like, it does introduce something interesting and important. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what they the paper you didn't intend to to arrive at, the conclusion you didn't intend to arrive at, the the result you didn't want, uh might be important in a similar way to the one that you did. Mm-hmm. You know. Kevin Smith might have wanted to make mall rats first, but he couldn't. And we're better off for it. We're better off knowing that he had clerks inside of him.
1: <laughs> God bless us, every clerk's. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, some of this we could we could tie up and say a lot of this is a a lesson in humility almost, you know, life, life is an ongoing project. It is an an open loop. Um, Mm -hmm. So why not acknowledge that and and sort of celebrate that? um, You know, this is all work in progress and, and finished isn't really all it's chalked up to be in all that, Mm -hmm. but I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know if well, I have a conclusion. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll quote quote Steve Jobs and say, real artists ship. You mm. know, at some point you've got to put it out there. Um, and at some point, it, in, in, in certain, some circumstances, you know, say uh, say all you have is a sketchbook or you are a refugee from Syria, maybe all you have is a draft. Mm-hmm. If you've got a draft, ship a draft.
1: Yeah, and beyond that, like, I don't know, like appreciate the crap out of that draft. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, I can't, I don't, I don't have, I don't have, I didn't bring my pretty words with me today. Uh,
0: <laughs> That's okay. Here's some pretty words. Violet. Lilac. Lavender. I think these are all flowers now that I think about it.
1: Yeah. I'll uh, buy it.
0: Um, yeah, and I would, I would say, um... Yeah, I don't know. the The big thing that I'm thinking about with this is just just a reminder to, you know, not only to appreciate the draft, but also appreciate that the polished things you see are also drafts. They're a later draft that more people worked on, maybe. Mm. But you know, um, that's that's as far as they got. Clerks is as far as Kevin Smith got his first time out. Um, uh, what's a good example of a highly produced, heavily heavily produced song? Um, "Shake It Off." Is, is as far as, as Taylor Swift got, you know? <laughs> and it might be, it might both, one of those might be less polished than what you're aiming for. One of them might be more polished, but that's just as far as they got when they said good enough. Mm. Um, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: don't just cherish the draft. Also understand everything else you see is also a draft.
1: Life is drafty.
0: Um, yeah, life is, life is a draft. Mm. Life, life is a rough draft and you never get to see the finished paper.
1: Nope. Cut it off. Done.
0: You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at Priority FM. That's at PRIORITYFM. Thanks again for listening.
1: I'm picturing like a cracked in half Segway.
0: <laughs> We're having like a like a, a Jason Bourne esque car chase, but it's on Segways.
1: <laughs> we just watched Spy in our household, so now I'm picturing Melissa McCarthy dragging it. <laughs> uh, that
0: better. was that was a, a shockingly good movie.
1: You know, I I thought it was pretty good. I was. On I, I mean,
0: I'm, I'm not saying like it was like one of one of the great films for the books. I, it, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But what I am saying is like I was not prepared for how good it was.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and side note, I just think it's really important that we keep going to see movies that <laughs> are made by women and star women. Like, oh, my God, to have an action comedy like that.
0: Oh, yeah. It was with fantastic. her at the center. It was fantastic. And, you know, I'm like I. I stopped caring a long time ago about whether or not another property in the Ghostbusters universe milieu ever got made. But I will probably see the new Ghostbusters for a similar reason. Like, I did not. I thought Spy looked terrible. Mm. And I was really pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever Ghostbusters looks like, I am expecting something similar to happen. Because, you know, that keeps happening to me with people, <laughs> with, with movies made by by that group of people in particular. But mm-hmm. also, you know. Movies like that, movies and genres that we think of as like the man genres yes, that are, are by and starring and, and in large part for women, you know, turn out also to be for us
1: and us being how. the men. <laughs> Isn't it great that we're all better people? <laughs> yes. So the cracked in half segue that I'm dragging. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.